I think I read the, the stories of Pooh earlier than the science fiction, Jules Verne and Wells, and uh, The Lost World by Conan Doyle. And, uh, and uh, it was a book I had in the house, and, uh, and, and I, I think they impressed me terribly, that is, having read The Fall of the House of Usher, I was, though it was an afternoon and I was in, at home all by myself, I was almost afraid to look behind the sofa or things, it, it filled me such, such terror and um, it was what I, I felt with several of the stories. But uh, as I say, nowadays I can read them purely for pleasure. But um, the uh, thing about them was that the uh, uh, as G.K. Chesterton spoke about how compared with. Um, in his story of the mystery of Marie Roger and uh, the purloined letter, uh, he invents the ghost. St uh, sorry, he invents the detective story, and uh, the kind of story that uh, that all Conan Doyle Sherlock Holmes tales are uh, are like. But uh, as he says. As Chesterton said, that there's a kind of a cockney vitality, almost impudence, in the Sherlock Holmes stories, which, much as I enjoy with them, them I agree. He says that the uh, the point about uh, Poe's writing is that they're like, as he calls it dark blooms upon a tree of thought. There is much more intellectual activity in what he writes. And uh, anyway, taking the fall of the House of Ushers, which is just one of them. During the whole of a dull, dark and soundless day in the autumn of the year, when the clouds hung oppressively low in the heavens, I'd been passing alone on horseback through a singularly dreary tract of country, and at length found myself, at the shade of evening drew on, within view of the melancholy house of Usher. I know not how it was, but with the first glimpse of the building, a sense of insufferable gloom persuaded my spirit. I say insufferable, for the feeling was unrelieved by any of the half-pleasurable, because poetic sentiment, with which the mind usually receives even the sternest natural images of the desolate or terrible. I looked upon the scene before me, upon the mere house and the simple landscape features of the domain, upon the bleak walls, upon the vacant eye-like windows, upon a few rank sedges and upon a few white trunks of decayed trees with an utter depression of soul which I can compare to no earthly sensation more properly 
than to the after-dream of the reveller upon opium, the bitter lapse into everyday life, the hideous dropping of the veil. There was an iciness, a sinking, a sickening of the heart, an unredeemed dreariness of thought which no goading of the imagination could torture into aught of the sublime. What was it, I paused to think, what was it that so unnerved me in the contemplation of the House of Usher? It was a mystery all insoluble, nor could I grapple with the shadowy fancies that crowded upon me as I pondered. I was forced to fall back upon the unsatisfactory conclusion that while beyond doubt there are combinations of very simple natural objects which have the power of thus affecting us, still the analysis of this power lies among consideration beyond our depth. It was possible, I reflected, that a mere different arrangement of the particulars of the scene, of the details of the picture, would be sufficient to modify, or perhaps, or perhaps to annihilate, its capacity for sorrowful impression. And acting upon this idea, I reined my horse to the precipitous brink of a black and lurid tarn, which lay in unruffled lustre by the dwelling, and gazed down, but with a shudder even more thrilling than before, upon the remodelled and inverted image of the grey sedge, and the ghastly tree stems, and the vacant and eye-light windows. Nevertheless, in this mansion of gloom I now proposed to myself a sojourn of some weeks. Its proprietor, Roderick Usher, had been one of my boon companions in boyhood, but many years had elapsed since our last meeting. A letter, however, had lately reached me in a distant part of the country, a letter from him which, in its wildly importunate nature, had admitted of no other than a personal reply. The MS gave evidence of nervous agitation. The writer spoke of acute bodily illness, of a mental disorder which oppressed him, and of an earnest desire to see me as his best and indeed his only personal friend, with a view of attempting by the cheerfulness of my society some alleviation of his malady. It was the manner in which all this and much more was said. It was the apparent heart that went with his request, which allowed me no room for hesitation, and I accordingly obeyed forthwith what I still considered a very singular summons. Although as boys we had been even intimate associates, yet I really knew little of my friend. His reserve had been always excessive and habitual. I was aware, however, that his very ancient family had been noted, time out of mind, for a peculiar sensibility of temperament, displaying itself through long ages in many works of exalted art, and manifested of late in repeated deeds of munificent yet unobtrusive charity, as well as in a passionate devotion to the intricacies perhaps even more than to the orthodox and easily recognisable beauties of musical science. I had learned, too, the very remarkable fact that the stem of the Usher race, all time-honoured as it was, had put forth at no period any enduring branch. In other words, 
that the entire family lay in the direct line of descent, and had always, with very trifling and very temporary variations, so lain. It was this deficiency I considered, while running over in thought, the perfect keeping of the character of the premises, with the credited character of the people, and while speculating upon the influence which the one in the long lapse of centuries might have exercised upon the other, it was this deficiency, perhaps, of collateral issue and the consequent undeviating transmission from sire to son of the patrimony with the name which had at length so identified the two as to merge the original title of the estate in the quaint and equivocal appellation of the House of Usher, an appellation which seemed to include in the minds of the peasantry who used it both the family and the family mansion. I have said that the sole effect of my somewhat childish experiment, that of looking down within the tarn, had been to deepen the first singular impression. There was no doubt that the consciousness of the rapid increase of my superstition, for why should I not term it that, served mainly to accelerate the increase itself. Such I have long known as the paradoxical law of all sentiments having terror as a basis. And it might have been this reason only that when I again uplifted my eyes to the house itself from its image in the pool, there grew in my mind a strange fancy, a fancy so ridiculous indeed that I but mention it to show the full force of the sensations which oppressed me. I had so worked upon my imagination as really to believe that about the whole mansion and domain there hung an atmosphere peculiar to themselves and their immediate vicinity, an atmosphere which had no affinity with the air of heaven, but which had reeked up from the decayed trees and the grey wall and the silent tarn, a pestilent and mystic vapour, dull, sluggish, faintly discernible and leaden-hued. Shaking off from my spirit what must have been a dream, I scanned more narrowly the real aspect of the building. Its principal feature seemed to be that of an excessive antiquity. The discoloration of ages had been great. Minute fungi overspread the whole exterior, hanging in a fine tangled webwork from the wee eaves. Yet all this was apart from any extraordinary dilapidation. No portion of the masonry had fallen, and there appeared to be a wild inconsistency between its still perfect adaptation of parts and the crumbling condition of the individual stones. In this there was much that reminded me of the specious totality of old woodwork, which has rotted for long years in some neglected vault, with no disturbance from the breath of the external air. Beyond this indication of extensive decay, however, the fabric gave little token of instability. Perhaps the eye of a scrutinising observer might have discovered a barely perceptible fissure, which, extending from the roof of the building in front, made its way down the wall in a zigzag fashion until it, until it became lost in the sullen waters of the tarn.
Noticing these things, I rode over a short causeway to the house. A serpent-in-waiting took my horse, and I entered the gothic archway of the hall. A valet of stealthy step thence conducted me in silence through many dark and intricate passages, my progress to the studio of his master. Much that I encountered on the way contributed, I know not how, to heighten the vague sentiments which I have already, of which I have already spoken. While the objects around me, while the carvings of the ceilings, the sombre tapestries of the walls, the ebon blackness of the doors, and the phantasmagoric memorial trophies which rattled as I stood, were but to such as which I had been accustomed from my infancy, while I hesitated not to acknowledge how familiar was all this, I still wondered to find how unfamiliar were the fancies which ordinary images were stirring up. On one of the staircases I met the physician of the family. His countenance, I thought, bore a mingled expression of low cunning and perplexity. He accosted me with trepidation and passed on. The valet now threw open a door and ushered me into the presence of his master. The room in which I found myself was very large and lofty. The windows were long and narrow and pointed, and at so vast a distance from the black oaken floor as to be altogether inaccessible from within. Feeble gleams of crimson light made their way through the trellised panes and served to render insufficiently distinct the more prominent objects around. The eye, however, struggled in vain to reach the remoter angles of the chamber or the recesses of the vaulted and fretted ceiling. Dark draperies hung upon the walls. The general furniture was profuse, comfortless, antique and tattered. Many books and musical instruments lay scattered about, but failed to give any vitality to the scene. I felt that I breathed an atmosphere of sorrow, an air of stern and deep and irredeemable gloom hung over and over and pervaded all.